Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. In 1910, Andrew Rube Foster, who was then the captain of a team called the Leland Giants, would somehow wrestle away control from Frank Leland, who was a co-owner of the team. And in 1911, the team won a remarkable 123 games with six losses. Foster would eventually change the name of the team to the Chicago American Giants. Dan, our guy Bob Kendrick is now in a video game. That's from MLB The Show 23. It's not just a video game. Right. It's the video game. Like, this is wild. So is it, I'm curious how it's working in. Is it a story, is it him telling the stories, or can you be that player and live that story? Well, why don't we ask him? Because there's eight stories, there's eight. There's eight Negro Leagues players who have their stories inside of MLB The Show 23. That game from and and I I just sort of watch from you know over a shoulder to see that game being played. But in the my career option to come up through minor leagues where they have the minor league parks and to get yourself promoted and have to put in the time at all these different levels. It's, it is amazing. The, the, the computing power of that game, the realism of that game is just, it's incredible. And now the fact that they felt strongly enough to incorporate our next guest in it is, is really a cool thing. Bob Kendrick is on Twitter at NLBM Prez with a Z. The president of the Negro League Baseball Museum is with us on the score hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Hello again, Bob. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Thanks, guys. How are you all doing? We're doing great, man. Bob, how did, how did you get into a video game, man? How did that happen? Uh, you know, I have no idea, Lawrence, but all I know is that my cool level has grown tremendously since I am now about to be inside a video game. Who would have ever thunk it? Uh, but no, I'm super excited about this. It's a tremendous honor to be lending my voice to what I think is a groundbreaking project 
that Sony PlayStation and the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum have embarked on to now include the Negro Leagues inside the video game MLB The Show 23 and subsequent editions of this game over the next several years. What was important to you about how this is done, that it isn't that, uh, tokenism, that this is done in the, in the yeah. right way? And, and, and you know what? It, wasn't not, it was not only important for me, it was also important for the folks over at PlayStation. They wanted to make sure that they gave proper respect to those players of the Negro Leagues as they're being introduced to this game. Now, one of the things that we did, and I think is one of the highlights of the video game, is the storyline mode that we created. So not only will you have the opportunity to play as Satchel Paige or Buck O'Neill or Hilton Smith or Rube Foster, Hank Thompson, Jackie Robinson, Martin DeHigo, you will also be able to ascertain these many documentaries that help you understand the greatness of these individuals. And that's the piece that I'm narrating throughout the video game. And so that was a really important part to help us educate the end user about these heroes of the Negro Leagues. In, in, in your wildest dreams, as you embarked <laughs> on, the, on the, the mission of keeping the, the stories of the Negro Leagues alive, and I know how important it, it, it is to you. We've had long discussions about this. Like Thinking of this as a different mode and a mm-hmm. way of reaching people, I, I, I can't even... like. Would you have ever thought that this was a way for you to do some of the storytelling? I had hoped so. I wasn't sure if it was going to happen. There's been a cross-section of the gaming community that has been clamoring for the inclusion of Negro League players for quite some time. And I was beginning to doubt whether or not this would ever happen. Wasn't sure we could get the ear of someone who would really give it the kind of consideration and merit that it really deserved. I always felt like this would be an exciting way for us to engage a new generation around the history of the Negro Leagues because as a museum and as a history museum and particularly a cultural institution, my job is always searching to create relevancy. As you both know, the Negro Leagues had been played in over six decades. And yet the life lessons from this tremendous story of triumph over adversity is just as meaningful and significant today as it was 60-plus years ago. And we needed to find creative avenues in order to connect this new generation with that and kind of help them learn about these legendary ball players and the things that they overcame, but really the joy that they had for playing this game and just how good they were at this game. And this checks all the boxes, and so I am just absolutely thrilled that we've been able to navigate this partnership. And based on the initial reaction, when we announced this in early February, this thing has gone bonkers. I mean, people are genuinely excited about this. And I can't help but reflect on some of my friends who I knew from the Negro Leagues, obviously uh, the late, great Buck O'Neill, to to think about himself being in a video game and what that would mean to him. I don't know if he ever thought about being in a video game, but I know he constantly thought about how do we connect that new generation to this history and help inspire them. 
through what these athletes were able to endure in the face of tremendous social adversity. I'm wondering about the the twin goals of an effort like this over the long term. How much of this is helping the current audience for that game, if we're talking about a lot of young white males with disposable income who would be playing that game who would say, oh, wow, I didn't know that. This, I, I understand this better. This is cool. And how much of it is also going after maybe uh, young black men who would find themselves in baseball and, learn, and caring more about baseball and baseball culture and, and, and steeping themselves in the game and maybe playing the game more at a time when baseball is trying to encourage that. Does this serve both of those aims? I, I really think it does. I do. I, I think this is a gigantic step in helping urban kids who play this game see themselves in this game from a historical perspective. We have such a proud legacy in the game of baseball that a lot of kids really don't know. And as my late mother would say, you don't know what you don't know. And so I have to create these avenues to help you know. And I think as across the board, I think for the young white baseball fan, they're going to identify with some new heroes too. You know, get to play as Satchel Paige. I mean, who deserves to be in a video game more than Satchel Paige? When you talk about not only the skill, but the charisma that he brought to the game, these players from the Negro Leagues, really, they deserve that form because of the way they played the game. But I do think it's going to help create a connection between all of the in-game users, regardless of what, what color, color their skin is. But I do think it's going to help us as part of this strategy to get more kids interested in baseball if they can identify with themselves in this game. And so this gaming system is a tremendous way to do just that. You know what's funny about what Dan had to say, Bob? This morning, I'm, I'm coming in, I'm talking with uh, one of our producers, Mike Rankin, who's a Baseball guy, played it in college, loves the game. And I said, yeah, you know, who should we talk with Bob about? Because, you know, we we like to ask you questions about all these greats. And he he goes, hey, remember, last time you didn't ask about Satchel Page, So you got to ask about Satchel Page when so, – so so look, you're, this is a, a mid-20s white man that wants to know more about Satchel Page. So, all right, Bob, I need a Satchel Page story. What you got? Well, there's so many, as you know, but one of my favorites, the year is 1956. And if you believe that Satchel was born in 1906, fellas, this was now making 50 years old, which I certainly do not believe that he was born in 1906. But for the sake of the story, we'll say 1906. He is now pitching for the Miami Marlins. And a young outfielder by the name of Whitey Herzog was on that Marlins team. And Satchel, this is AAA baseball, and Satchel was pitching great whether the age was 50 or 60, who knows? And so the Marlins, and I had this verified with Whitey Herzog, and so they're on the road they're in Rochester, New York. The Rochester team has a knot hole in the outfield wall, and they have a promotion that says if any batter can hit the ball on the fly through the knot hole, you could win $100,000. Well, this was virtually impossible. But Mr. Herzog says he's out in the outfield jogging. He decides he's going to take some baseballs with him because he wanted to see if the ball would actually fit in the hole. Well, there's just enough circumference to squeeze that ball through the hole. Mm -hmm. He goes and gets Satchel. He says, Satchel, 
you're always bragging about how great your control is and how you could throw a baseball over a chewing gum wrapper. Honest to God's truth. He didn't warm up in the bullpen like most pitchers do, throw it to the catcher across home plate. He would have the catcher sit a stick of foil chewing gum wrapper on top of the home, on top of home plate. And wherever the catcher moved the chewing gum wrapper, the old man right over the top of this chewing gum wrapper. So you're always bragging about how, you, how great your control is. You can throw it over a chewing gum wrapper. Well, I bet you a bottle of old granddad bourbon that you can't throw a baseball through this knot hole. Now, guys, Satchel had a nickname for everybody. His nickname, famously for Mr. Herzog, was Wild Child. He says, Wild Child, with a ball fit. Mr. Herzog shows him it's just enough circumference to squeeze that ball through the hole. He says, Wild Child, I'll take that bet. So Mr. Herzog says he steps off 60 feet 6 inches, puts down the pitching rubber. He's going to give the old man three tries to throw that baseball through the knot hole. He says Satchel takes the baseball like a hunter is looking through the telescope of his rifle, and he measures. He says the first pitch goes in the hole but spins back out. He says he is in freaking disbelief, but he's saying to himself, there's no way he can get any closer than that. The very next pitch, right through the hole. He says Satchel reaches down, picks up the bottle of bourbon, holds it up and says, wild child, I'll take that, and saunders on off into the sunset. So, no, there will never, ever, ever be another Leroy Satchel page. Mm. Rankin, you satisfied with that Satchel page story? Thanks go. so much, Bob. Yeah, and, and there was there was some. I just saw some video on Twitter that was making the rounds a while ago when Satchel was in his mid or late fifties, right? And yeah. it was just him him warming up. And do I didn't I don't know if I saw the, the the gum wrapper down there, but how repeatable his mechanics were, and even oh, like yeah. like ahead of the time where where a modern pitching coach would look at his levers, his repeatable delivery, and what he was at that age. That's an old man. He was like five years yeah. older than I am now, and <laughs> and 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 bringing it absolutely bringing it, and the same release point every single time. Every time. And he could give you, you know, as he got older, he didn't have the dominating fastball. Now, remember, I'm comparing Satchel to Satchel. It wasn't the dominating fastball that Satchel had. He couldn't get it up there at 105 anymore like he did in his prime. But when he pitches for the Kansas City A's in 1965, and I was doing an interview with Rico Petroselli, who was on that Red Sox team that played against the Kansas City A's, the old man pitches three innings, giving up one hit, three shutout innings, giving up only one hit. Great trivia question. 1965 Boston Red Sox, who got that long hit off of Satchel? Hall of Famer, but it's not Ted Williams. Is it not, it, not Hawk Harrelson? Is it Yaz? Yes, it was, it was, it was, yes. Yes. Carl Yastrzemski. Yes. Yes gets a double against the old man. Satchel leaves him at third, and he shut down everybody else over three of the most remarkably pitched innings in baseball history at age 59, which means he could have been 69 years old at the time. Well, Rico Petroselli, who was on that team, says, Bob, we all went to the plate hacking away at that old man. They thought they're going to light this old dude up. And he says, fellas, at that time, Satchel's fastball was still 86, 
87 miles per hour, mm. and he's painting the black again at age 59, which means he could have been 69 years old. So that repeatable delivery you talked about, it was just second nature for him. And like I said, as he got older, he got more craftier, so he could throw it over the top. He dropped down three quarters. He'd even drop down Samarina style, and, and, but everything with pinpoint accuracy. So, no, no, there won't be another Leroy Satchel page. Bob, before we let you go, I just want to let you know that uh, over the weekend, I had a little uh, educational experience last weekend because uh, my son and I were, uh, were going up to visit college, and we stopped for a night. We were in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And one of the things we like to do when we're on the road together is always, always, always check out the local minor league ballpark, If there's, especially if it's an affiliated ballpark, in season or out of season. So we went across the bridge to City Island to see what is now, I believe, it's FNB Field. But it's the same place as we learned. There are signs up there talking about the history of City Island. The fields were, there was, used to be Island Park in the 20s, and that was the home park of the Harrisburg Giants. And there are signs up all about the ECL and the formation of the Giants in the 1890s. And we learned, you know, then, of course, we get on our phones and start looking all this stuff up about outfielder first baseman Heavy Johnson, who was a Kansas City monarch. And it was just it was just really cool to see that there's still there's there's professional baseball going on in the very same spot on the very same island still. Yeah, no, that's, uh, you know, and that always brings a smile to my face and the fact that there's professional baseball is being played there and some of the other stadiums that are now being restored. I'm excited about the project that's happening in Patterson, New Jersey with Hinchcliffe Stadium and it's about to be reopened and what they're doing in Detroit with Hamtramck Stadium. Uh, League Park in Cleveland, and of course, Rickwood Field, which is the oldest active baseball stadium to this day, and of course, was home to the Birmingham Black Barons. And so those moments like that are always very special for me, uh, particularly those areas where Negro Leagues baseball was really revered. And and Harrisburg and that great Harrisburg Giant team uh, is so representative of that. Bob, I don't know if you knew about this. I, I wonder if you were even consulted about it. But there was a play here in Chicago that just finished its run. Yes. At the Goodman Theater about Tony Stone. Um, yes. And, and I was wondering if you had heard about it and, and what are the things that you would want people to know about Tony Stone? Well, number one, I went to the opening night performance there at the Goodman. So I was in Chicago for the uh, opening night performance. It was one of those quick trips in and out. And I've seen it three times. The original screenplay was uh, featured off Broadway. And we had that cast come out to Kansas City and the playwright, Lydia Diamond, come out to Kansas City. So the museum was intimately involved with this production. And it's been great to see now for me. I've seen it in Atlanta and now in Chicago. And the cast in Chicago did an amazing job of capturing Lydia Diamond's tremendous play on the life of Tony Stone, one of the three women who played in the Negro Leagues and Tony being the first of those three women, and the challenges that those women had to endure, as you guys can both well imagine, they not only had to deal with racism, but they had to deal with sexism. But all three women could play. And the Negro Leagues gave them a playing ground in which they got to showcase their baseball abilities with and against the men in the 1950s. Tony Stone would take the roster place of someone you likely heard his name before, the great Henry Aaron. 
Yeah, Henry Aaron was playing for the Indianapolis Clowns in 1952 when the Braves signed him away from the Clowns by the end of the 52 season. Uh, and, of course, at that time it was the Boston Braves who would become the Milwaukee Braves, of course, who would become the Atlanta Braves. In 1953, the Indianapolis Clowns replaced him with Tony Stone, a high, tremendously talented infielder, and then Mamie Peanut Johnson would subsequently join the team. She was a five foot three inch pitcher with a strong right arm. She was striking those fellas out. And Connie Morgan, who hailed from Philadelphia, they were pioneers, women who competed with and against the men in the Negro Leagues. Man, Bob, I I swear to you, I could when I say I could do this all day. I, I I mean it. I I legitimately could. I I could I could spend the rest of the show and the rest of the week doing this. But uh, I thank you so much for uh, just taking a small part of your day and spending it with us. Oh man, it is my pleasure. Uh, thank you guys for always uh, just talking up this history and the work that the museum is doing. I hope all of those folks who are listening who are video gamers, even if you're not a gamer, you need to support this game because it does support the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And this is history with the inclusion of the first eight Negro League players into the video game, MLB The Show 23. Bob, you're the best, man. We'll see you soon. All right, guys. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks again for having me. That's the great Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro League Baseball Museum. You talk about cool. Right. You know, like, right. that's a dude that's just cool. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.